Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Well, hello, Chris Evans here, and welcome once again to the Best of the Breakfast Show podcast with Sky from Virgin Radio. Coming up on this one, motoring maverick Richard Hammond chats series two of his Discovery Plus TV show Richard Hammond's Workshop. The hilarious Steve Mulhern discusses his first children's book, Max Magic. The incredibly talented Rob Delaney looks at the meaning of family, life and death in his heartbreaking new book, A Heart That Works. And the brilliant Ben Elton shares all about the return of another TV legend, Friday. Friday Night Live on Channel 4. All of that and so much more to come. So, Vassos, kick things off and tell us who is up first. Okay. Don't mention Top Gear. Don't mention Top Gear. Don't mention Top Gear. <laughs> Our next guest is famously one of the three main presenters of, of the Grand Tour. He's also back for Series 2 of Richard Hammond's Workshop, available on Discovery Plus via Sky Q. So, high time we cross examined Richard Hammond. Hi, Rich. How are you doing? Morning, morning. Hang on. Hang so, on. about your supreme reign on Top Gear I then. Did, I, I couldn't get past the elephant in the room when I came in. It and was like, squeeze friend. round it and sit yeah. down. Well Jeez, done. Good you know, work. Good work. Keep your friends close in any way. Yeah. Uh, Richard, congratulations. Second season of yes. Richard Hammer's Workshop. It's great. I like, the, I like the first season, but the second season is really bedded in, hasn't it? Um, yes and no. First season was right. We're setting up a new classic car restoration workshop, something I've always wanted to do. Yeah. Don't, by the way, if you're thinking about <laughs> it's it. It's like buying your favourite pub. Or, just yeah, keep, just yeah. go there. Just enjoy just it. Just go and have a pint and a bag of salt and vinegar crisps. Yes. You don't need to own it. No. The delicious irony was in yes. order to pay for a lot of the kit I needed to put into the classic car restoration workshop in which one day I hoped to restore my own cars yeah. I had to sell my own cars so we got the first one like end of first season it's set up yes second season which is begins tonight we're like here's the workshop isn't it amazing wow Ooh, it is this, amazing this is expensive to run isn't it <laughs> um so then it's all about um keeping it going i know i know and this is yeah. continuing theme about you know it's it's mindy's horses versus your workshop you know yeah. and you know on the face of it they sound like the bigger indulgence but they end up you know they, they wipe their Face, as it were, or their very long noses, as it were, and, and your no, they workshop. don't. Well, that's what she's. Ca- she- they occasionally keel over in their stables. Plus, my cars don't, um, you know, foul the bed every <laughs> night, do they? And require some. Well, some to come do out. actually. Don't and yeah, they? the older ones. Well, if there's none coming out, it means there's none. Don't in. Go- yeah, that's good. I like that. Yeah, I, I like the older cars. If you look at the older manuals, you may, some of you may not know this, but you know, in the old Jag Mark II manuals, of course, it would always say your car will leak oil. Yes. It has to do that. It's a way of knowing there's some in. That's the deal. It's important. For people who haven't seen season one, okay, um, yeah. it's available from today. You can get it now. I think you can actually get it now as we speak. You don't have to wait till tonight. Um, what is it? Where is it? And who's in it? Right. Uh, well, it all started, I'll keep it brief, a few years ago, um, father and son, Neil and Anthony Greenhouse. Fellas living out in Herefordshire, where I live. I was connected to them by another mate called Hadrian, who's like a TV engineer guy, makes all the stuff for all the shows I've done. Anything you see that's engineered on telly is usually built here. And he said, oh, you want to try this guy? He's great. So he did an E-type for me. Amazing job, really beautiful. Uh, and we established Fish and Ship Fridays, where I'd turn up if I wasn't working.
working with fish and chips yep. and we'd all sit around and eat them and chat yep. and then one Friday we were chatting and Neil was a bit down and he said I'm losing the workshop they're developing it and I said well I, I don't I, I'm not going to employ you to work directly to me to do my cars because A I'm not Jay Leno and B there's, or Jeremy not, <laughs> there's not a great deal of dignity in that for you <laughs> and I'm certainly not him um, so why don't we set up a business together and we'll get a little workshop and once you've covered your costs you'll be able to work what on possibly my go wrong exactly the, I tell you the next thing I thought which was that might make a nice little telly show so we turned it into a TV show with Discovery, and as a result, my ambitions got carried away. Next thing I know, workshop is enormous. I'm selling the cars I was hoping to restore in a smaller workshop to buy all the kits to put in the bigger workshop to restore other people's cars. Yeah, and now you've reached the point of no return because it's yeah. a, it is a proper um, a restoration workshop. It's yeah. beautiful. You've got paint box and everything going yeah. on, haven't you? That's lovely. It's it's, and, and, yeah, it's all about the skills that are in it. Um, I mean, the guys can do amazing stuff. They're properly talented. So where where are, so we're a year on, aren't we, from the first se- yes. season? So so um, can you, is there anything that we need? Because obviously we've seen the first two episodes. Um, is there anything that we that you could sort of I have, to that ha- we haven't seen? I have a brilliant idea in this series, right. which is I need to get customers. I need to get in contact with people who love classic cars and who regularly, for whatever reason, damage them, need them repairing, and then ideally damage them again. Those people are, obviously, people who race classic cars. Mm. The best way to get to them, rather than just pay for expensive adverts when I haven't got any money in the business, we go racing with them. So um, I dug out of a barn an old MGB GT, which was the last car I drove on a certain TV car show. (laughs) Thank you. So kind. I love my esteemed colleague over there in the corner. Well, we've both got that one. How are you enjoying your last day at work? (laughs) We've both got that one behind us, mate. It's in our past. Um, During after following my tenure on that show. Yeah. (laughs) Mine was a comma. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Mine mine was maybe a semicolon (laughs) or a a row of three dots. Um, Following that, I'd kept that car. Right. So we thought, well, let's turn that into a race car and campaign it. Right. Um, and we did. Which, it turns out, is an even better way of getting rid of money. Yeah. No, they do say if you, the best way to make a small fortune is start with the big one and lose yeah. most of it. Which you're doing pretty... That, I mean, you're on, the, you're on the road. You're on the journey. Oh, it's happening. journey. Yeah. Uh, when you unveil... Um, actually, no, let's not... Because that's a bit of a spoiler. Because that comes out... It's pretty cool, that guy. With MGB, yeah, it does look great, it's and it is—it's getting and, there. By the way, we were you, racing it two weekends ago. You take it to the pointy end of the MG world, don't you? You don't go in the shallow end. No, well, we again, I got carried away. We wanted it to be seen by the right people. So, um, so we, we've we've um, it's been to Donington, um, it's been to Silverstone. Yeah. Um, but also, when you unveiled it, it was in an MG convention kind of thing. Oh, yeah, we it? took it to the uh, NEC for the Classic Car Restoration Show to in unveil the MG it. the section. Yeah, and to give it a big ta-da! Yeah. But by that point, it was really only painted to look like a car we hadn't yeah. started in. Yeah. It turns out to be quite expensive. Yeah, of course it is. Uh, well, it's great, Rich. Um, I, I, is the third series already? Is that is that a done deal? Or don't know, yeah, I'd love it to be. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, watch it, please, and then I can make another Okay. Because <laughs> we've got the hang of doing okay, it now. So, so the jury's officially out, so we, we need you to watch this show. Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly right. All right, so it starts today. Uh, where is it again? Sorry, I've forgotten. I've lost Discovery Plus on Discovery the television. Discovery Plus via SkyQ. If you've got a SkyQ, just talk to your telly. Say, say anything with Richard Hammond, and that'll be the Modern first thing. Modern telly I'll... stuff, and it happens. <laughs> Cheers, Richard. Anything else before you go? That's it, really. Very okay. nice to see you all. Brand new 
serious grand tour? Rock uh, and rolling? Yeah, yeah, we've got a new one up. That's gone down well. It's gone down James very, very well. James has crashed. He's attracted a lot very, of. Very, He's very stolen well. my crown. Stole my crown. <laughs> All right, pal. Thank you so much. See ya. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky Virgin Radio. He's in charge of everything shiny and showbiz and silly on the telly, and he's. Slightly too good for our liking yes. when he hosts this radio show. He's also good. a children's author with the brilliant Max Magic out now. And to be honest, we had to get him in to finally remove his right shoe from our studio <laughs> with surprisingly big feet. It's Stephen Mulhern. Yeah, haven't by the way. It's been under my desk for Can... the last six weeks. <laughs> what that is ridiculous. <laughs> So, are they, do you know the story about <laughs> no. this? I don't know whether it still does it. By the way, good morning. Good, good morning, 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 everyone. Well, uh, you go, this Steve. is lovely to be back in here, by the way. Um, <laughs> what a start. Yeah, so I had... I don't know whether it does it anymore. It's been here for so long. Can you hear that? Yeah. So I thought, I've got a squeaky shoe, right? So anyway, so I then went on to um, to YouTube and they said, oh, you'll find something on there that does it. And this guy said, if you spray WD-40 in your shoe and leave it overnight, it will sort out. So <laughs> I did it. <laughs> <laughs> but he did a really good video. So yeah. I was absolutely, like, sucking into it, did it. And then it didn't work, so I ruined a pair of trainers. So did he do that on purpose, do you think? Or did it work for him and just didn't work for Chris, you? Chris, honestly, if you see the video, it was it was so professionally done. Right. I thought, well, it, it must work. What, yeah. he's, why would know, he be yanking my chain? Why would you waste your time just like, making people look idiots? I used to sell shoes, and we used to we used to sort of get sacked on a hourly basis if we didn't sell product with the shoe. Because it wasn't about selling the shoes, because people came in with the shoes. But this sort of added um, profit would be if we could sell them some product. And I can't remember what the thing was, but whatever I was trying to sell to people they didn't want is what you need. <laughs> okay. See, yeah. see why I was a terrible salesman? <laughs> By the way, your caller, but see, Danny, Danny with the melon, yeah. And um, I, I had the other day, um, <laughs> it was just bizarre, and maybe I'm like new to this, but it was soup, but in a bread bowl. Yeah. Oh, Have you had that before? Yeah, yeah. I, I told you about that. Bowl. That's what I said to her about oh, that. Right. Yeah, so, so what you do is you lop off the top, you hollow out the middle, and then what you do is you baste the inside with butter. You put that back into the oven, oh, and then wow. that gives you a little glaze and the sort of semi-seal, which is long enough for the soup not to seep out until you sort of you sort of want it to. Right, I missed that bit. And then it's you can, genius. If you serve in a restaurant, because we used to do this in a restaurant, you put the you put the top back on and it looks like a loaf. And then you take the top off, which is a loaf top, and then you go with your soup, and then you start to dip the loaf top into the soup and that's how you begin your dunk it clever oh it's so it was, you do it with the kids at home it's so much fun because yeah. you can just buy a you know a ready-made or the little loaves or a little a miniature farmhouse something like that lot and farmhouse are great because farmhouse loaves look like um chef's hats so there's a, there's a natural bit where, where you want to lop the top off right give it a go and then you start scooping it out you, yeah. you, you feel like you're something, you know, <laughs> yeah. as opposed to not, yeah. not that much. But you're everything at the moment. This book here, this book, Max Magic, Stephen Mulhern, um, it's Stephen's first ever kids' book. It will not be his last. Anything is possible. Max Magic, Stephen Mulhern with Tommy Easton. My yeah. kids love this book. The wow. little ones love having it read to them. Um, Noah, who's 13, love reading it. Eli is still reading it. They love it. Based on anyone, Stephen? Well, yeah, it's it's based on me growing <laughs> up. But it's I, I can't believe the reaction to it. And what happened was the way it came about was I was speaking to my dad, and he, we've always been talking about writing a book, but. I didn't really have a lot to write about. He said, well, write about growing up because my parents are market traders and, you know, 
there's so many different things that people aren't aware of in terms of like my dad would sell cuddly toys but my mum would make the cuddly toys in the house so myself and my brothers and my sister we would stuff the toys my mum would sew the toys and my dad would go and sell the toys so that's how it all worked so literally I just yeah just wrote about all of my brothers and I my sister that. and you my mum and dad. the toys, you sold the toys, and you sold the toys. <laughs> yes. That's it. In, in Petticoat Lane, That's what yeah. we do here, okay? That's right. We yeah. sold the toys, we stopped the toys, and we sold the toys. <laughs> and that's the way it goes, okay? What are you going to do? Um, um, and Tom Easton has been amazing because he's he's a, like a very very respected author. So, being the first book, I, I needed help. So, and he's he's been amazing. So, um, David Williams is a contractor out on both of you. Who do you think is going to get hit first? <laughs> well, I saw David last week, right? Yeah. Um, because Antoinette went very well, so I had to step in for them to to do a magic show. Bizarrely, how it all turns out, and um, he did say, I'm, "I'm stepping on his turf." Yeah, more than that. You know. Yeah, breathing down the neck or jumping on his back. Stomping all over his turf. You know I would I mean? say so. Um, but it's very, very good because his mum and dad, market traders, I mean, it's 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 quite autobiographical as well, isn't it? Um, he goes to school, he's into magic from, from a very early age. Is that is that a mirror image of what happened to 100%, you? 100%, because magic just helped me at school. So, you know, with... with uh, just getting friends and because I was genuinely a very shy kid but also what was really important about the book is at the back of it because I do stick by and some people in the magic circle don't agree with this but I believe if you don't show kids how to do certain things to get them started we'll never have another generation of, of magicians and indeed I, I wasn't a good reader at school so the idea of picking up a book and all, all of that stuff it's just worked out so at the back of the book um, I filmed 15 of my favourite tricks that you can make and do so it's like a magic book, but also a magic set. So over half term, you can it's make brilliant. them. It's brilliant. Honestly, it's you know, and when you if you were bought a magic set as a as a Chrissy present or for a birthday present, you know, because they're very size, a bit like fireworks, aren't they? Magic yes. sets, you can get small, medium, large, and yeah, massive. Kit, exactly. You know, and we bought Eli one a couple of years ago, and that was him done for a fortnight. It was over the Christmas holidays, and he had other toys as well. You know, bigger presents, I suppose, is what you how you describe them. But he was lost in his magic set for yeah. a couple of weeks. Well, also it gives you that chance of doing something that other people can't do. Do you know what I mean? Because it is. It's an art form. You know, slice of hand, misdirection. It's a prop. And I went into it properly from the age of eleven, and then sixteen, I was like, just took over my, my well, life. Well, the book really. is magic. You know, those things at the back there are amazing. Uh, Max Magic. Anything is possible. Stephen Mulhern with Tom Easton. Stephen, you do lots of things. You're very good at all of them. You really are. You're brilliant at them. Great to have you here, Stephen. Oh, thank you. Great That's to have you. And I know you'll be back in this chair sooner rather than later. Stephen <laughs> Mulhern, uh, Max Magic, his first ever kids' book. It's out now. And David Williams. You should be worried. You should be very, very worried. We know he's worried. He's going to hate that. What? He's going to hate you yeah, saying it doesn't matter. I don't care. You're supposed to come on last Friday. He cancelled at the last minute. It's not my problem. Is it? What? <laughs> the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. On this show, we often joke about how I can't cry. And the truth is, I really can't. But let me tell you, I cried oceans reading our next guest's amazing book, A Heart That Works, out today. It's brave, heartbreaking, funny. It's beautiful. It's important. It's really needed. Everyone should read Rob Delaney. Morning, Rob. Good morning, friends. It's nice to see you. Nice to see you. Did it feel brave writing the book? No, certainly not. Uh, Yeah, bravery... Hope, like those things. I don't. I you don't let, do hope. I do let you? other people define those things yeah. and use them. You know, um, I started the book angry. Uh, I wanted to hurt people. <laughs> I wanted to throw a bomb out in the world and try to distribute some of the pain that my family felt. 
But uh, over the course of the writing, what really took over was my love for Henry, my love for his mom and his brothers. And um, it, uh, it was just so odd to, to have that sort of tidal wave come up inside of me and, and absorb me because that, uh, that's the real deal stuff. So that was the educational process for me is realizing, um, you know, the majesty of love and what it can do. So, you know, I'm still angry. I'm still sad and that's fine and healthy and normal. But um, a lot of a lot of love left in Henry's wake, and and I'd say that's what I feel most of the time. Um, for people who don't know, can you just frame Henry's short life so then we can carry on talking about? Sure. It? Yeah. Well, he um, he was born at the Whittington Hospital up by Archway um, in April of 2015, and uh, a little before he turned one he started behaving oddly and that included uh, vomiting uh, quite a bit and so we were said what the hell is this what's going on here you know why won't he stop you know we were used to kids puking that's one of the one of their hobbies but uh, with Henry it it didn't stop and he started to lose weight so we took him to the doctor and and then to another doctor and another doctor and A&E here and there and trying to just figure out what was going on. And it's hard. It's hard to find, a you know, because the kid can't tell you, you know what, I, th- I think it might be a brain tumor in there. I mean, he couldn't even talk, you know. Um, and and then, then they found it. Um, they did an MRI. I'll do a little PSA, which is to say if you have a kid and they're vomiting and the vomiting is effortless, which is to say they don't retch. Chris, I know, for example, when you vomit, it's quite a production. Yeah, There's retching. You're go, oh, you call out to God. Good. Yeah. And with with Henry, it just bleh, came right up, which was weird. It was a strange vomiting. And we found out that's because the tumor was creating pressure in his head that would press on the emetic center and just the vomit would just come out, you know, without warning. And um, so that's, that's, uh, you know, if you ever see that in a little kid, that's that is cause for concern. Um, anyway, uh, they did a surgery, a, a big one, to take out the tumor, and that surgery necessarily disabled him. The surgeon was wonderful and amazing, and got all the tumor out, but it was wrapped around brain stem and cranial nerves, so he was quite disabled after the surgery. And uh, then he had chemo um, to hopefully get rid of any residual uh, cancer. And then um, about it would have been, you know, a year and a half later, the tumor came back, and at that point, there was nothing they could do, um, and he died, and he died in our home. He died on our couch in our living room in my wife's arms, and um, and that was his life. Um, you know, <laughs> I've given you such a thumbnail sketch there, but in between his birth and his death, you know, he had a wonderful two-year and nine-month life where we fell, of course deeply and irreparably in love with him and remain so um and he was he was an amazing wonderful kid he was you know quite disabled um physically but mentally and emotionally he was sharp as a tack and uh very funny and mischievous and and a just a delight um he liked books without pictures as a two-year-old he would sit <laughs> me down and make him it was like so he must have been a genius i guess and he learned um sign language quite quickly he couldn't talk because of a tracheostomy and he was just a wonderful boy he was our sweet henry when he and it came home after the uh, initial operation 
because of his behavior you weren't convinced but you suspected he might be getting better oh sure yeah so they took out the tumor and to the naked eye it looked like they got it all out and even in an mri they couldn't see any but the type of tumor it was it was called an ependymoma and they love to come back and they uh kill kids babies and kids uh and it's worse if you're a boy for some reason you know there's different ones for you know there's a type of cancer i guess that favors every little demographic and if you're a little boy with an ependymoma you're in real danger and uh so they they got out what they could which looked to be all of it and then did chemo but it came back and at that point there wasn't anything they could do uh any treatment then just would have been tantamount to torture and then he would have died anyway so so we did not pursue further treatment and uh and he had a wonderful he had a wonderful seven months at home um that were you know i just glow thinking about it and i i would like to be there again right now great almost street hospital gets more than a few um mentions in the book mm-hmm. this book is a heart that works rob yeah. delaney we are running the marathon for gosh next oh, great. year what are you doing on april the 23rd april the 23rd well we'll see i just did a half marathon there you go a couple weeks ago for a bereaved parents group and i saw a lot of people running for gosh which made me so happy um so let's see uh we'll see if i can muster up they're the official charity for the whole event oh wonderful so okay great not bad you know (laughs) the marathon and you know do you know they get like the profits in perpetuity from uh peter pan by jm barry he was like yeah i didn't know that such as centuries of peter pan money helped fund great ormond street pretty neat huh you don't want to talk about where the money from this goes but it's the same isn't it it goes oh yeah well i didn't want to make any money off a book about my son dying so yeah so any money that i make from this book will go to kids hospices it'd be pretty gross if i went to fiji or bought a car i know i know know. but i just think it's nice that people know where it's going um get the book everyone a heart that works rob delaney thank you rob thank you the best of the chris evans breakfast show with sky virgin radio have you ever laughed at something on the telly you probably have this man to thank he's your favorite comedian come actor come author come playwright come lyricist come director come general genius and he's back on the box this friday hosting the iconic friday night live on channel four so a big welcome ben elton morning ben morning indeed how lovely oh. to be back on this show. I do love it. It's How did such you enjoy a your stop off at Times Radio? Oh, you know, it was great. Matt was super. You know, it was a, a pre-record, so I don't know what they'll put out. But yeah, no, it's, it seemed, seemed great. I always enjoy it. Anything we can steal from that for any decent <laughs> questions then? Might as well. They've already warmed you up. Well, we were talking about, oh, you know me, I don't need warming up. I was born warmed up. I literally, I emerged wittering and babbling. My, my mum used to say there was a rule in our house when I was the last one because I'm the youngest and uh, the others were all at school but I was still young enough to be at home and mum had a rule that I wasn't allowed to start talking at her until she'd started her second cup of tea so I used to wait while she raised it to her lips and then I'd unleash and talk for the rest of the day (laughs) you know me Chris tell us about little Ben a bit go on (laughs) little Ben we know about big Ben was sitting at home Uh, (laughs) well you know I was I think I had a I think they do say if you had a happy childhood you don't really remember it I mean I was very lucky 
I was still nice. happy and, you know, went to a local state school, Catford, still in a school in Catford. Big shout out to them, still going. I went back about 15 years ago. Um, I was always, I read a lot of comics, didn't read a novel till I, didn't read a proper book till I was about 12. But when I discovered P.G. Woodhouse, the greatest comic writer in English letters, in my view, uh, I, I, I never looked back. Interesting that. Okay, yeah. so, so from comic books to P.G. Woodhouse. Yes. How, how did that happen? Well, actually, I was very lucky. Um, I, my mum and dad both, you know, believed in, you know, encouraging reading. And mum used to read to us. She had a great... Uh, so I'm one of the, I mean, she, she'd do lots of good... Animal Farm, she read us when I was about eight. And, of course, I just saw it as a really great story about animals and, you know, sadness and heroism. And, of course, they, <laughs> I wasn't aware of the parallel with Stalinism and totalitarian See, that's states. Where, that's where it all comes from, <laughs> exactly. isn't it? There you go. Boom, uh, Animal Farm. Days. Sounds like my mum was trying to indoctrinate. <laughs> she also did the whole Narnia cycle, which wasn't bad. Uh, but I wasn't reading myself. I used to go to jumble sales and buy, you could get for a penny, like a foot tall pile of old beanos and old dandies. Yeah. And, I, and I just loved it. And I loved War Picture Monthly and Commando and all of that. And uh, I think they were, you know, trying to push me towards, you know, print. Um, and Dad brought home a book called Eggs, Beans and Crumpets, which is a book of P.G. Woodhouse short stories. And I fell in love. And I think a great deal, if I have such a thing as comic timing in my soul, I think I owe a lot of that to the, the great P.G. Woodhouse, who could actually time a gag with punctuation. I mean, and that ain't easy to do, in I must book, say. In, in book a book, form. yeah. Okay, when you were basically t- taking the role of narrator, whoever's reading the book. Absolutely. Uh, so do you think, because you write such good screenplay as well, do you think that maybe comes from the comics? I don't know. I mean, I think... I did. I was always interested in drama. I mean, t- when I was a little boy, I wanted to be a soldier. And then when I was about 10 or 11, I decided I didn't want to be a soldier anymore. And I had a couple of years of, 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 of lack of ambition. Um, and then I had what you might well, call you've a... you've certainly made up for it, young man. Well, I, I, wanted, I wanted... I started showbiz. I had my epiphany. My road to Damascus was Onslow... To Damascus was Onslow Village Hall uh, in, in Guildford, where we moved, where my dad's job went from Battersea College of Technology to... to uh, Surrey University during the days when universities were expanding and, and Wilson was building loads of new universities. We went to Guildford and uh, I I auditioned for the local amateur dramatic society, Peter Pan, uh, the Curtain Raisers Society, uh, and I got a job as a lost boy, three nights playing Slightly Soiled in uh, that's one of the one of the lost boys in Onslow Village Hall, and I got the bug for show business. I knew all I wanted to do was go in. I wanted to be in plays. I wanted to be in theatre. Uh, I thought I wanted to be an actor. My realisation I wasn't a very good actor, dropped pretty quick. Although my artful dodger is fondly remembered. And, and also I was quite good in Oliver. Hey, what are we saying? Um, <laughs> I don't know whether that was a double or not. Um, but uh, I decided very quickly that I wanted to be a writer and uh, I've been a writer ever since. Ben, Friday Night Live is coming back. It is indeed. I can't, I can't believe it. I mean, I'm so happy it's happening. But it's nine o'clock, it's this Friday. What the hell happened there? Well, it's been 34 years since I last said yes indeed, ladies and gentlemen. I'll probably have to say yes indeed, uh, ladies and gentlemen these days so times are changing and 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 we're we're all embracing that uh so uh, they came to me channel four was sort of vaguely it's not like i just get a gig anymore and quite rightly so you know well done owe me a living it's a long time since i 
was kind of, you know, the new thing. Uh, but they did say, look, um, you know, maybe something satirical for our 40th anniversary, maybe, you know, a little show about, I don't know, they had an idea, maybe Johnson as a child or something, you know. Uh, this is a few months ago, when you know, when <laughs> you remember him? Uh, and I said, look, the only thing I'd like to do is, have you any idea what your legacy is, Channel 4? Sat Friday Night Live and Saturday Live invented modern stand-up. I mean, but when we started doing it, there was like two clubs in London and the occasional comedy night anywhere else. By the time we'd finished, three years later, there was a comedy circuit in Britain with a, a club in every town in the country, and you could do a degree in stand-up comedy. I mean, it really did open up a whole new world of variety and performance opportunities for a whole generation of people, and it has been so ever since. I said, we need you need to celebrate that, but more importantly, you need to have a new li a live cabaret show back on back on telly because it's something telly can still do live we're not streaming we're not being binged a fortnight from now oh, i'll see it once everyone else has seen it it's live it's an event watch us go to the pub or go to the pub early come back watch us you know and they said yeah actually that's true that's and I said, Let's on friday i'm going to go to the pub early and i'm going to come back and watch you so it is live it has to be live it does what it says on the tin um where are we today are uh, 9 the wednesday morning before the comeback mm. of friday night live um a, you're nervous. B, where are you with the writing? C, how's the rehearsal thing? What happens between now and then? Well, I mean, the big thing for me is the opening topicals. As, as, as those of you old enough to remember, which may just be me and you, Chris, yeah. in this room. Uh, I've I used checked. To, you're right. I used to throw down a strong four or five of topicals to start the show. They'd yeah. introduce a load of brilliant new acts and a few venerables like Harry Enfield, Joe Brand are going to be back with us. Julian, Julian Clary. Yeah, they're, they're not on this week, but they were there yeah. in those days. Uh, and then I'd do a sort of bit of my classic gear at the end. So I I've really, what I've, I've got the classic gear because I've been on the road for the last right. year and a half. We talked about that, and the and the seat and the, the the concert is streaming from this Friday, I believe, on various streaming services. But uh, I I've got that gear already. But the topicals are the big issue. That's what I'm working on, and of course. It's a moving target, Chris. Who will be Prime Minister? Who will I be slagging off? Yeah. Literally, I have never done a Friday Night Live in such a volatile political situation. Ben, I love you. <laughs> love you too, Thanks mate. Thanks so much, man. My great pleasure. to see you. Great to see you. Sweet. Friday Night Live, back Channel 4. Is it a one-off or is it the first of many more still to come? Let's hope it's the latter. And Ben Elton Live are now available on Altitude.film and pre-order on iTunes for next week. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. All right, we've heard from a bunch of incredible guests already, but still to come, ladies and germs, boys and gals, Thelma and Louise, megastar, double Oscar-winning Gina Flipping Davis shares her life story with a brilliant new book, her brand-new autobiography, Dying of Politeness. Plus, the super vet, Professor Noel Fitzpatrick, is back to talk all about his latest eye-opening book, Beyond Supervet, and culinary queen and owner of London's iconic River Cafe, Ruth Rogers, discusses her brilliant new book, The River Cafe Cookbook. So let's get right back to it, Vassos. Who's next? Has anyone seen a double Oscar winner? How about an Emmy winner? Has anyone seen a Swedish speaker? Olympic-level archer? How about a weirdly talented pumpkin carver? Founder of a groundbreaking institute on gender in media? Has anyone seen the author of the memoir they're all talking about? <laughs> Dying of politeness out today. Has anyone seen a Gina Davis? Good morning, <laughs> Gina Davis. Can't good, believe it. Good morning, good morning. We love you. Oh, gosh, thank Seriously, you. Seriously, you're in all our favourite films, all of them. 
Thank you. Um, so the book is full of, well done, Vassas, by the way. Beautifully framed. Excellent. It's a book. It's a story full of passion and purpose and effort and inspiration, education and perspiration and wonder and wondering and everything, as Vassas says, from a Swedish gap year to a superwoman film film festival. And also, I didn't know you were in Knight Rider and Fantasy Island. Oh, gosh, right? <laughs> yeah, you should, you should look at those episodes. I was going to ask, the only thing, the only downside of reading your brilliant book yesterday, yeah. and I read it from cover to cover, Every single word, and I etched it up. But the only thing, because I could have skimmed it, but I didn't, because I loved it so much. Oh gosh! But the only downside was, yeah. I didn't then didn't have time to go and watch some of the films that I wanted to <sighs> revisit, uh, you know, and and YouTube clips of Knight Rider and Fantasy Island and other things that you you've been in. <laughs> well done for writing. You talk about finally writing it in the end. Yes, we could we could go to that. But let's just parachute into various. Let's go all over the place with this. First of all, how amazing is Susan Sarandon? Oh my God, she's my hero. She she's, clearly, yeah, yeah. yeah she's She's the best. Um, she changed my life, you know, know, getting to to work with her um, and spend all that time with her. Like, really, it changed my goal of who I wanted to be like, you know, what I wanted to be like yes. in life. Um, she was uh, massively inspirational. Um, she was fearless where you were fearful. Right. And she wasn't impolite where you were overpolite. She was just something else, wasn't she? Yeah. She gave you, she, she gave you the confidence to to stand up to people to say your piece. Right. And not just saying it for the sake of it, because that's that's on no. that's not useful. Right. No. No. It was it was just in everyday life. I was uh, I, in hindsight, I realized I was sort of apologizing for myself that whenever I wanted to voice an opinion. And I'd say, well, this is probably stupid, but, you know, and uh, she doesn't put any qualifiers before what she says. She, and this is not about, like you said, it's not about being confrontational or anything. It's just how she moves through the world. Yeah. And she, 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 again, we talk about it a lot on this show. You know, it's better to sail with a tailwind than row against the tide because, you know, because why? Because there's always a tailwind if you just feel it or look for it or something like that or just wait for it, if you like, you know. Right. And you don't expend any energy waiting, you don't observing and, and uh, waiting for the right wind to blow you away. Mm-hmm. But um, when you were, when when you were engaged in the process of Thelma and Louise, it wasn't really for Thelma or Louise, was it? Right. No, no, no. Yeah. It was. Uh, oh, wait. What do you mean? That I. Uh, being well, you cast? Were, you, yeah, you were around and you wanted a job, but you yes. weren't quite sure what job you were going to get. Exactly. Exactly. Um, well, when I read the script, it was already cast with, with uh, uh, Thelma and Louise. Yeah, and tell, tell us the potentials. Or do you, who was. Who made it? Who may have been Thelma and Louise? Uh, oh, gosh. Can I remember now? I think. Uh, I think one pairing was Michelle Pfeiffer and Jodie Foster. <laughs> he was, he was. Yeah, and then another one was Meryl Streep and was it Cher yeah. or Goldie Hawn? Maybe I think we could Meryl Streep and Goldie. But it ended up as you two. Yes. So how did you get one of the main gigs in the end? How did you step up to that plate? Well, uh, Ridley Ridley Scott was going to just produce it at first, yeah. but he couldn't find a director yeah. who shared his vision. And then he finally decided he was going to direct it. And by that time, a year had gone by, and my agent called his office once a week to say, if anything happens, Gino you know, is really keen on this. So, uh, so finally, he said, yes, yes, I will meet with Gina. But by then, I had convinced myself that I should play Louise. So I fervently pitched him on why I absolutely had to be Louise. And he finally says, so, in other words, you wouldn't play Thelma. And I was like, 
oh my God, I've talked myself out of this movie <laughs> by lobbying for the wrong part. So yeah. I said, you know what's so interesting, Ridley, is as I've been talking, I realized, you know what? I shouldn't be Louise. I need to be Thelma. Yeah. And then just made up stuff about why I and had then to be you Thelma. And then you realized Susan was so Louise. Yes. So yes. totally Louise. The second I saw her, yeah. So for people who haven't seen the film, so Mira, who's behind you, you just said hello to, and Jane, yeah. they haven't seen the film. Huh? Yeah, I know, but that's because it's older than they are, right? And it's oh. hard to persuade people to watch things that are within their lifetime yeah. because they don't believe old cruds like me saying this you don't, this is was such a groundbreaking film and it's so still box fresh yeah um how do we encourage and enthuse anybody on the planet who's not seen Thelma Louise to, to watch it like in this afternoon maybe yeah no because I, I always make jokes about the ending and say Oh, I gave it away because I assume everybody has seen you the movie. You can't give it away. I mean, <laughs> no, you actually We nearly can't. did the same thing. We said, no, you can't say that because it's... In fact, right. we're talking about it too much now right. almost. Right, you know? exactly, yeah. Well, you know, the way we're talking about it and that there's a mystery ending and all that, I think that maybe that'll But the road them. trip and the message that yeah. it sent out, you know, um, and, it, you know, that landed in, in many ways, didn't it, when the critics right. saw it, but the audiences loved it in yeah. their droves. Talk about how that how, how that was the response to it was like for you right yeah you know none of us making it knew that it would strike a nerve the way it did when it came out uh and uh it exploded um on the scene and like you said some reviewers were very negative you know is the answer giving women guns uh and, and like that but uh uh, but what I noticed most was people who recognized me, the huge difference, if if they recognized me from uh, from that instead of from Beetlejuice or something, they'd say, oh, hi, I love Beetlejuice. And boy, people wanted to talk about Thelma and Louise with me and share who they saw it with yeah. and what it, what it did to them. And, it was um, a different kind of following, wasn't it? Yeah, it triggered yeah. different things, more profound, deeper things in people than anything you'd done before. Yes. And then you did this, You give this lovely comparison about people said it's too violent, it shouldn't happen, women should have guns, is that the answer? But then you do this, this comparison, don't you, between that and, say, lethal weapon, you know, what went on and how it's just not really like that at all. No, no, exactly. It was <clears throat> That was Entertainment Weekly magazine who created that chart because they thought it was really funny that they were complaining about the movie being too violent and compared it to Lethal Weapon it's like number of bullets fired seven for us and for them it said uh, too difficult to count because counting individual machine gun shots is very <laughs> it's very hard yeah Gina 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 Davis on Graham Norton tomorrow night they're recording it tonight anything else you'd like to say to our listeners this morning Gina Davis no I'm thrilled to talk to you all but thank you yeah great okay the book is out today it's called Dying of Politeness and it's absolutely awesome Gina Davis thank you so much thank you Chris you're Thanks. very welcome the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky Virgin Radio he was on the show last week but last week he wasn't officially the UK's top talent show judge so to celebrate his shiny new nta and also just because we really love him and so do you we've got him do back his very high spec let's give him the big check it's anton do anton do back good morning anton <laughs> I, I i i frankly owe it all to you apparently i wasn't in the running until i came to see you in the morning and then by the evening, the tables had turned. But we didn't so really, know. I owe it all to you. We and did. I don't say thank you. We had no idea. And you, you mentioned it once or twice off the air. We didn't talk about it on the air. So you were nominated for uh, Best TV Judge uh, last Thursday morning. So eight days ago, you came on the show on Thursday, talking about your new book. And then you were there at the awards on the night. You clearly didn't expect to win, but you did. No, I know. It was wonderful. I just... It's a, 
you know, when they, somebody said to me, oh, you've been nominated for an NTA Best Judge Award. And I thought, oh, that's fantastic, marvellous. And I had a look, and everybody had been nominated. And I went, oh, I see. Oh, it's one of those. Okay, fair enough. And then they shortlisted it down to four. And I was overwhelmed to be on the shortlist with the other judges, and Mo and RuPaul and David uh, Wally. I just thought, oh, I've got no chance here. And, and then to, to win on the evening was just... Well, it was just, I, you know, it, you know, it shouldn't matter that much, but I've just, the best thing that's ever happened to me in my entire life. Please don't tell my wife and children. No. It, it, I'm just, just so grateful to everybody who voted. No, it doesn't and matter it, that so much. so proud of myself. Yeah. It's ridiculous, but I am. The only thing that's sort of bit, sort of makes me go a bit, oh, hello. I've been dancing for about 400 years, and then they give me an award I for know, not dancing. I know, but listen. Which is a bit disconcerting. No, go with the tailwind. Don't worry about a damn thing. You know, <laughs> as you say, it's not important, but it is really nice. It's a really nice oh. sort of vote of validation, and there was a big cheer. It went down very well on the night. I was so pleased for you. Thank you. I was, you know, I was so, you know, I was so grateful to everyone. I was so pleased and thrilled and all those things, really, and just a bit proud, and I just felt so... It felt lovely. Good so a huge thank you to everybody Good for making you. me feel really, really great. All right, so tomorrow you're back on doing what you do best, yeah. doing what you do better than anyone else, according to the NTAs. Yeah. Um, judge. <laughs> and by the way, you beat, be you beat David Williams, who advised you to be a judge and not a host. He did, yeah, a few years ago, actually. He did. He said, you should judge. He said, it's a lot more fun. And he's so, he's so lovely. And he sent me a message as well, which was lovely, like a private message. He sent me a, a message saying congratulations. He's, he's an absolute beauty, David. I love David. So do I. And, uh, he's, he's just such a love. Yeah. And um, and it was... Uh, so, yeah, the show is is, is uh, on again tomorrow. And if, anything, if last week was anything to go by, tomorrow is going to be epic. Yeah. It's going to be, I think, from this point on, or even last week, it's just going to be an incredible series. Everybody's, uh, you know, we use these expressions like everyone's raised their game, all that sort of stuff. Genuinely, I didn't think when we started this uh, series that it was going to be a bit, you know, you say, oh, every year it's the greatest year of all times. I didn't think it was going to be that. But last week just maybe went, maybe go, this is going to be the best one of all time. I mean, stunning. So early in the competition to be that good. And I think the dance off every week is going to be, we're going to have the situation like we did last week where you're going to get somebody quite high up the leaderboard. And every week it's going to be awful. Um, <laughs> for and, you guys yeah it's going to be awful but it's going to be fascinating so well done to everybody for voting on the show and keep going because it's just making the show brilliant alright let's uh, speak briefly about this um, this spoiler guy who's doing the rounds Um What's incredible about Strictly is that all these people are at the show live on a Saturday. Therefore, they stick around for the pre-record of the Sunday Results show. And the yeah. results have hardly ever got out. I don't know what this character is doing this for. Um, but as opposed to um, giving him the spotlight, I think you've you got to point the spotlight in the rearview mirror and say, how fantastic is it that this hardly ever happens anyway in the first place when there's so much opportunity for it to happen? Well, you know, people... People could just walk out the door and just tell the world, yeah, couldn't they? But, but they, they don't, because we're all in it together. No, and they're brilliant for that. We're all in it together. And it's, I think I made the point, uh, the reference once before about you go to see the mousetrap in London, you know, the longest running play in the, in the West End. And, it, and somebody stands up at the end of the play and goes, now, you know, knowledge is power. We're all in it together. Don't tell anyone. And, um, and everyone goes, OK. So no one knows who did it. And it's the same, really, at Strictly. And everybody loves it. And, you know, we know it's uh, pre-recorded on Sunday evening. Uh, no one says it's not. Um, and uh, but it's just it, it, it's it's just such a brilliant show, and everybody feels so 
warm about the show. And people who go love to go. It's really because there's not a, many people who get a chance to go into the studio because there's, there's a few hundred seats, but it's not, you know, the tens of millions of people who watch the show uh, would love to go. So it is a real opportunity. And it's just one of those things that we keep together, you know, and it's yep. brilliant. Yeah, and, you know, and if you don't want to know the result, um, it's easy not to find it out. So that's all good. Well, you, you actually actively have to go and search it out. Yes. So... Don't do it. Don't do know. it. Wait right. Until Sunday night. Anton, we love you. Give our best to uh, one of the best shows uh, that telly's ever seen and all the f- amazing people that work on it. And don't be a stranger. You're a beauty. All Thank right, you, mate. my love. You're very welcome. Anton Dubeck. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. You'll like it. And a lot this time from Loose Women to BBC Berkshire, from the Iranian National Ballet, I mean, to the Strictly Final, to the biggest, shiniest, magicest magic show of them all. And now she's allowing Paul Daniels' tricks and illusions to be passed to the next generation. How else do we introduce the lovely Debbie McGee? Abracadabra, (laughs) here she is, as if by magic. She just appeared. How are you, Debbie? Oh, couldn't be better, Chris. Couldn't be better. Oh, my goodness, this is great. Oh, great, thank you so much. It's a lovely story, this. Tell us all about what's going on. Right, so, um, in magic, I think it's very important that I pass on Paul's legacy. And so I have lots of things that belong to him, including an amazing collection of books that's got knowledge that the young magicians can't find on the internet, which is where they get most of their um, information these days. And it's where Paul, you know, all his ideas grew from. And I haven't got room for it all now. And I think it's unfair that I don't look at it. A lot of the books were just boxed up from before he died, actually, because he's read every single book. You know, some are from the 1800s. And of course, loads of tricks and things that actually uh, were in a warehouse, but I've moved them to a big shed in the garden. It is heated. But, you know, I it's just Paul always had this thing of when he bought things that there's a time for you to own it and then there's a time for somebody else to enjoy it so that's my feeling with this he would want me to pass it on but until now I wasn't ready for that yeah exactly and the whole thing about it isn't it you know if you feel responsible for things like that for material possessions especially when they weren't really yours you know they end up owning you you know and somehow you felt now from somewhere you have been given permission to to allow these to be moved on not that you ever needed it but I get why you may have felt like yeah absolutely I just felt a bit um it was wrong that I don't look at it almost disloyal or something like that you know yeah and it's important you know in the magic world the people he was such a legend because he was so different from anybody else tell us about that tell us how come Right. So I think because he was, he didn't need the magic. You met him, Chris. He was so charismatic. <laughs> you, you, you know, um, we were, we were just having a chat, weren't we? And saying, you know, Paul would interrupt everybody's conversations. You never knew, you know, if Paul was in the room, you knew it wherever we were. He, he loved everybody, you know, so our bin men couldn't empty the bins because you'd have to show them a trick and tell them a dro- joke. So I think, and, and in in the magic world, his knowledge really was more than anybody else, apart from Teller from Penn and Teller. Because yeah. they both know all the history, which is why Paul had read these thousands of books, yeah. you know, going back to the 1800s. So a real student of his craft. Yes. So, and then a master of his craft. Yes. So in the magic world, it's really, they love owning something that belonged to a magician of the past. And he has now passed on, and it's been nearly seven years. So it's 
how long do I, you know, just keep them because when somebody dies when you give something away of theirs or sell it it's you feel like you're giving them away again so for a long time there's no way I could have done that yeah but if you if you frame that as sharing them yes. with with everyone else you know and and getting back that sort of the energy that Paul had you know addition a bit of that out that's that's fantastic isn't well, it and that's what i feel absolutely yeah. and i'm you know st- I, i'm i've i've obviously still got quite a lot in the house that i'm going to pass on to his boys and the family but that this, he, honestly, yes. I can't right. tell you Let's so much. Let's get down and dirty now. How yeah. did you decide what to part with and what not to part with? Because it's very difficult. You know, we've all tried the Marie Kondo thing. You know, she, she's brilliant. She, yeah. says, she says, empty all the wardrobes and then decide what, what deserves to go back in. Because if you try and select things to come out, that wardrobe has a certain gravity to it and it's really yeah. difficult. It's sort of magnetised. Did you have to do it in bouts? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I've been sorting it out since last year. It's the ultimate sort out, isn't it? Yeah. I'm just, ha- it, just having a sort out. I know, isn't it? It's so tough. What are you doing next week? I'm having a sort out. What yeah. about the week after? I'm, just, I'm still sorting out. Yeah. So, yeah, so I did it in stages. Yes. And then I've spent the last two months going to the auction house sort of about three days a week. Yeah. Um, cast, you know, going through and describing it all for the catalogue. Yeah. And uh, It's all about the description. Yeah. And at first, I was when I was going through it all, I was thinking, how can I actually do this? I'm, You know, and you go, oh, but would Paul's son want this or would my nephew want this for his magic show? You know, and then I rang them and they'd say, we haven't got any room to store this or da 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 And so through that process of elimination, I have decided that what I'm selling, I feel will be useful. That's the things I've sold. And on top of that, there are two really rare, very exceptional, ornate uh, pondule mysterieurs, they're called, mystery clocks, uh, with glass faces. You can't see how the working's done. And they were made by a magician from the turn of the century called Dora Houdan. And the only reason I'm mentioning it is because that's who Houdini took his name from. What? Uh, and then I've got a letter that Houdini wrote to another famous magician in the early 1900s. Um, which, you know, I've seen lots of times. And actually, I've forgotten Paul had it and I found it in a book. You know, he tucked it in a book. And I thought, oh, to a magic collector, that is something so special. Great to see you. You too, Chris. Seriously. And, and to everybody else What an interesting morning. auction. Uh, you can watch these auctions live online. We usually have a decent auction on the, in the background on the laptop in the kitchen over the weekend. Um, specialauctionservices.com. If you don't want to bid, don't register. If you do register and you might want to bid, then don't have a drink beforehand. No. <laughs> Whatever you do. Um, Debbie, have a great weekend. Uh, thank you. Okay. You too. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. He is one of our top two <laughs> Channel 4 superstars and he would, of course, be our top one if some of us weren't married to Alex Horn. Saving our furry friends, he's such a superhero, he really should consider a cape. His latest book, Beyond Supervet, is out now. It's his third book in three years. Supervet hits hat-trick, it's Noel Fitzpatrick! <laughs> <laughs> hey, very good, Vassos. That was nice, Vassos. Thank you, you very much. You obviously had some sleep last hat-trick. night. Nice, you've had some sleep. No. No, no, no. So many questions. First of all, we just played Harry Styles. Have you fixed any Harry Styles pets? <laughs> That's so funny because I just said to you, did you see the bit about Harry in there? <laughs> no, but I did, there is a beautiful bit. One of my favourite bits in the book is about the string, uh, uh, the universal string of oneness. Yeah. And it's about, uh, I finished operating, rushed from work to Brixton Academy, which is like 55 minutes door to door from my place. And the promoter had just said to me the night before, Noel, we have one ticket for Harry. And I, I'm there. 
So the nurses were delighted and all goes, him to Brixton Academy, in he goes, and he goes, hoodie up, you know, gig starts, never heard screaming louder in my life, Harry starts, he's fantastic, and of course, hoodie up again, I'm walking out, and I got a tap on the shoulder, and uh, a lady says to me, hey, you're, you're the super fan, and I'm like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I am, and she said, my cat's going to have his leg off next week, and I'm like, no, he's not. <laughs> And that was it. The story of a, a, a cat called Oz yeah. who would have had his leg off the following week yeah. if it wasn't for the universal strand of one. Harry Styles, you told me that story before. And it was hilarious. So, but, so, beautiful. Have you one directioned, you know, from an animal I point have, of view? I have, actually. No, no. I, 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 because I, you do fix people's, very yeah, well-known people's animals. Yeah, I know you don't talk about them much. Yeah, um, I don't talk about them at all because... Um, the, the press glassed onto the celebrity thing and 99.9% of the people are not. And so to me, the one thing that's really important to me, actually, that that is a very good point about, you know, people ask about One Direction or celebrities or Prince Harry or whoever else. Everybody is the same when they're sitting on the floor of my consulting room. Yeah. And when I go on tour, everybody in the room's the same. And, and I'm not joking. When I had lunch with the Queen, and I know I'm just dropping that as a conversation point. No, well, I was going to ask you about the Queen, because well, she's in the book, isn't it's it? It's like, you see, I, uh, look, I turned up <laughs> thinking there was 200 people going to be there. <laughs> yeah. There was eight people. I know, I, I know, was to Ray inside for nearly two hours. I know. Just having a chat. It's like, brilliant. she's my nan. It's a, every page of this book is good. No, you've always been an amazing writer, but you, this is a, you've taken it to a different level. The prose in this book is it's beautifully written and it's packed and it's punchy uh, talk, let's talk about the title first of all Beyond Supervet what the heck is this the longest P45 in recorded history are you throwing the towel in is it yes yeah, there's the towel it's on the floor a seriously bit. because it says it's called Beyond Supervet yeah. finally yeah if not I tell you it's Beyond Truth right I have known you how long nearly 20 years probably at least I would say and I don't know. You've you've read it more. In fact, you have read the full final text before me because I've never seen a physical copy till today. Yeah. And also, I only submitted it at six a.m. on the day it was published. So there's loads of spelling mistakes. Which is mistakes, early for you, isn't which it? Which I <laughs> I gave them three hours notice. <laughs> but I apologise for any spelling mistakes in there. But um, the reason it's called that is I don't know whether you found it or not, but it's pretty raw. It's brutally truthful. I just decided this time. Um, if I'm going to stay up all night writing it, there's a lot of things that I absolutely need to tell the truth about. Yeah. Uh, so Beyond Supervet means this is it. This is the truth as I know it today. And I'm going to share literally everything with you in the hope that you'll respect that and maybe be honest with me. And they say the truth sets you free. Uh, well, I could not think of a, a better phrase. I think, actually, your your wife was the first one to notice when I was thinking about writing the difficult chapters in this book, because I was standing stage side at Carfest last year, crying. And I, I don't know whether you, whether she told you or not. So I'm, I'm just propped up crying. Someone's singing about a song she, about... She, she told me. Yeah, someone's singing a song about love. And I'm like, well, I could never let love in. And I'm like, oh man, I can't run anymore. I'm done. I just run the marathon. Uh, no, I was, no, I was about to run the marathon with you. Kira had died, and that's my little dog. Mammy was dying, and I'm like, okay, all right, matey, put on your big boy pants. There's a lot of people out there in the world having a tough time for various reasons, and if they think that someone on the telly has it all sorted out, how on earth are they supposed to cope? Well, they, we don't have it sorted out. It's all underneath that. There's just a little boy who is scared and feels inadequate, and 
if I can't tell the truth about that, then there is zero point in writing a book. So beyond truth is beyond me letting go of all that stuff that I was holding inside for so long and hoping that by letting it out, it would help someone else. All right, pal. Thank you, mate. You're welcome. Uh, You're never selling your practice. uh, (laughs) That would be like a tortoise selling their shell. So it's not going to happen. And with these mortgage rates, who's going to buy anyway? (laughs) I I would... uh, I will not acquiesce to the world that is, in my opinion, motivated by um, monetary or other means. Uh, I will only ever, for me, it's love all the way. That's that's the way it's going to be, You're my friend. Money. And th- thanks for having me on the show. And I really rock and appreciate roll it. all the way too. Oh yeah. And the stairway to heaven is back on. It's totally <laughs> is, and I'm asking people at the end of the book to help me build it. So let's oh, do it a step at a time. Love you, Noel. Love you too. Thanks, okay, mate. Okay, Noel Fitzpatrick. Noel Fitzpatrick, Beyond Supervet is out now and you can get tickets for that tour. Uh, NoelFitzpatricklive.com is where you need to go. All right. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Our next guest has produced a book so beautiful you'll want to frame it and display it. Instead, you'll keep it in the kitchen and get it covered in oil and gunk and stuff. But your eye's loss is your mouth's gain. She is the founder of one of the world's best restaurants (laughs) and her River Cafe lookbook, Recipes for Kids of All Ages, is out now. So please welcome the Baroness with the mostess. It's Ruth Rogers. Good morning, wonderful Ruth. Could you try and give me a more enthusiastic introduction? <laughs> Just come a little bit closer to your microphone, sweetie. Yeah, that's that was beautiful. that was so subtle and subdued. Oh, I'm really, really overwhelmed. Ruth, Thank you. It, it's so what, good to see you. Good to see you again. Tell me, what is it like to preside over your beautiful River Cafe creation? Well, I think I, I think it's truly collaborative I have to say I know it's a cliche to say that but I work with the best people so every day you come in and you see the faces you want to see and you, there's a there's a bit of a theatrical element to a restaurant so I do think whatever your mood is and that's probably why actors like to work there when you walk in you know you're you're on stage in a way whether before or during or after it's a performance it's about people it's about wanting people to come in and eat and feel happier when they leave than when they arrived and I just work with the best people so I'm very happy well and you're very good at it and you run what I see as a very happy ship and you know you have this amazing podcast now which Ah, is really it's brilliant you have to come on it Chris let's do one tell me when I'll be there sit on the other yeah well it started it really started in just before lockdown with the idea I I love radio, I love being here and um, we had an idea of doing River Cafe Radio once but we just thought what if every day somebody read a recipe and that would be you know, I always say a recipe is part prose and part science, and part poetry. And um, and so we started with that idea. And then, of course, that segued into a conversation. And the first three people we did, who we asked, who are friends of the River Cafe and friends of mine, were Michael Caine and uh, Wes Anderson and Jake Gyllenhaal. And they both, all three of them, responded so well and chose their recipes that they wanted to read. And what I discovered, and then... Uh, I really discovered that uh, food is very, it's, it tells a story. So if you ask, if I were to ask Paul McCartney or Nancy Pelosi or Al Gore or you, um, 
tell me about what it's like to host a radio program or to be Chris Evans, you'd say, come on, Ruthie, or David Beckham, what's football? <laughs> I've done football. But if I said, can you tell me, you know, did your mother cook? Did, did, did you eat in restaurants for only special occasions or did you go there all the time? Did you, um, you know, it is a recipe of of your childhood that you remember. And when you went out, Paul McCartney said that he thought wine was terrible because he'd only had cheap wine. And it became interesting that people's, almost their sense of success had to do with what they could eat. Yeah, sense of success, sense of adventure, sense of nostalgia. And yeah. a, a reason that a lot of the people who come on your podcast are so enthusiastic about restaurants and especially yours is because, um, you know, on their way to wherever they've ended up now, mm. and that journey hasn't stopped, of course, mm. a lot of them worked in restaurants that yeah. they couldn't afford to eat in. Yeah. And therefore it's become a measure yes. of their success, but not sort of from a sort of binary and metric point of view, but from a fulfillment point of view. I remember saying to a friend of mine who's, who's um, boyfriend at the time um, became a sort of semi-successful screenwriter yeah. in Hollywood. Yeah. And I said, "How you know? How's he doing?" And she said, "Well, what do you mean?" And I said, um, "You know, I said, could he afford to go in any restaurant in the world and not look at the prices?" And he, she said, "Yeah." I said, "That's where I want to be." Yeah, no, we all thing, did. I it? wanted to. You know, I always, I always certainly looked at the right side of the menu. And, and my parents only took us to a restaurant for someone's birthday or you know real celebration whereas now i do see quite a lot of young people just eating out you know it's become something different people like i always say people do very public things in a very private things in a very public space yeah. people get announce a divorce in a restaurant or they hire someone <laughs> or they fire someone or they date because it does tell you about the person doesn't it yeah. how they treat the waiter what they order are they kind it, it, it's revealing yeah you know. are they there for an hour or for as long as it takes <laughs> I'm there for as long as it takes Ruthie good I like a long <laughs> slow table it's yeah nice. I mean lunch is a treat at the River Cafe oh, dinner's yeah. a treat but Thank lunch you. is a, a long lunch at the River Cafe oh, we love it when you come in oh my goodness me Talk about the first at the River Cafe, 30-odd years ago now, I'd imagine. 35. It was our 35th birthday two months ago. Happy yeah. birthday. Thank you. What was it like that first day? Tell us how you got the speech. Just tell us a bit. Give us a, a, the potted history of a the River Cafe. A little potted history. I'll do it very quickly. Richard, my husband, is an architect, and we lived in Paris while he was doing the Pompidou Centre, and we came back. He wanted to do have a community. He didn't want to be in an office tower or in Notting Hill. So we... We in a, in a studio. So he looked and looked, and he found these Duckham's warehouses on the Thames that were empty, with a green. And they tore down one of the spaces and made a, a green space. Um, you know, set designers, other architects, graphic designer, model makers took spaces. So it was a community, but there was nowhere to eat. And we love food, and he wanted it to be to have a place. And Rose. My partner, Rose Gray, had been in New York working with the McNally brothers, and I knew she was interested. I was a very domestic cook with lots of children, and but a passionate cook. And so I just said to Richard one, we were actually skiing and we were reading um, applications to come in, and I said, you know what, maybe maybe I'll do it. And I, you know, there are very few decisions you remember in life. Yeah. You know, and so we did this little place, and we were very, very limited because the planners would only let us open up at lunchtime and only um, to the people who worked in the, in the offices. But in a way, those restrictions, I'm a kind of believer in restrictions, and so those restrictions gave us time to actually become who we are this book is a thing of beauty absolute beauty the river cafe lookbook recipes for kids of all ages you can't have this copy because it's been signed 
by Ruth to my mother-in-law. So <laughs> many brownie birthday, points there. Sarah. So many. <laughs> happy yeah. birthday, oh Sarah. Oh, my goodness. Me oh. and Ruth singing happy birthday, Sarah. This is unbelievable. <laughs> you have no Sarah. idea. It's going to go such a long way. Oh, my God. <laughs> the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.